Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass!" So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Welcome back to the Leaving Eden podcast. Welcome, 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 welcome back to not just any episode of the Leaving Eden podcast. Sadie, do you want to tell the listeners why it is a special episode today? Yeah, this is our 100th episode of the Leaving Eden podcast. We have just passed our two-year anniversary podcasting together and with you, our listeners. So we wanted to roll our 100th episode and that two-year anniversary all up into one big celebratory package. Yes. Uh, my name is Gavriel Hakoen, and that lovely uh, resonant and... Uh, oh, thank you. ...voice that, yeah, you, that you just heard was uh, my BFF and co-host, Sadie Carpenter. Um, it's man it's been i can't believe it's been two years and 100 episodes technically technically speaking we've done a lot more than 100 episodes because i think the first family of fundamentalism episodes didn't count to the number and um, homework episodes and special episodes like the josh duggar trial coverage um a couple weeks ago when we talked about the plaths so much that we had to split it into two episodes on the fly uh, a few like that have not counted towards our total. Yeah, but it's like close enough as makes no difference. This is episode 100. It's a big milestone for us. We feel amazing that we've been able to share the story, Sadie's story with you for this long. Um, and it's a lot. It's it's really just something special for us. Do you uh, want to hear my like weird, fundy memory that popped up this week? 
Yes, please tell me. Okay, so for me, this um, welcome back is welcome back to the United States. I was in Canada over Labor Day weekend. And at the time that we're recording this, I just got back a couple days ago. So I was in the car. uh, Jonathan was driving. We're coming back over the border, crossing into Washington from southern Vancouver or southern British Columbia. uh, And this fundy memory just hit me. So preachers and missionaries in the IFB used to talk about you, if you go to a foreign country, you will just feel the absence of God and you will just know that the blessing of God is not on this country. And then really? when you, yeah. And then when you come back into the United States, you'll see the American flag flying and you'll feel like this sense of relief as the Holy Spirit comes back to you or something. Wow. I can't believe we didn't talk about that in our Christian nationalism episode because that is. There just wasn't room. That episode wow. was so full of factual stuff and less of my own experiences. But yeah, this was something I heard my whole life. And this is my second time going to Canada. And I got to say, either Canada has the Holy Spirit and the fundies just don't know it, uh, or it's utter bullshit. I'm not sure which. (laughs) (laughs) I just, you know, every time this was my first time uh, crossing an international border in a car. Like I've done it in a plane, but this is my first time like driving across the border. And it just kind of hit me (laughs) as we come up on the border crossing. Uh, how I, I just I don't feel like the absence of God in another country or the, the presence of God coming back when we drove into the U.S. Also, you know, the difference between Washington State and British Columbia is there is no visual distinction between those two places. It's- yeah, the difference is that the sodas have corn syrup instead of real sugar and you can't get my new favorite Rattler flavor in Washington but we're just going to get right into our episode, I think. Uh, so I just need to give our whole spiel before we get into everything we're going to talk about today, because we have listener questions that we're going to answer today and maybe a little bit of retrospective stuff that we're going to talk about as well. This is going to be a really fun episode and we're really excited to do it. Um, but before we get into that, the Leaving Eden podcast is the podcast about my BFF and co-host Sadie Carpenter's life in and escape from the independent fundamental Baptist cult. We talk about this cult. We talk about other cults. We talk about religion. We talk about fundamentalism. We talk about the real and present threat that cults and cult ideologies pose to society as a whole. And it is our goal to promote freedom of mind, freedom of thought and freedom of religion. So if you like our show, if you're a fan of our show, join our Patreon, patreon.com slash Leaving Eden Podcast, where we have extended and uncensored versions of most of our episodes. Also, we have other cool bonus stuff like writings by Sadie, including what does an actual fundamentalism survivor think of The Handmaid's Tale? That's a cool one. That's been up there for a while, but that's a good one that I think if you're a fan of The Handmaid's Tale, it's an interesting read. Uh, Other things you can do, you can join our Facebook group, which is facebook.com slash groups slash Eden Exodus. You can join our subreddit, which is reddit.com slash r slash Eden Exodus. Go there. Join in the discussion with all of the other fans of the Leaving Eden podcast. It's a great time. Anything else? Yeah, I want to encourage our listeners, um, if you are not subscribed to the show, go subscribe on whatever platform you usually use for listening. I bring this up because I recently realized that I was not subscribed to one of my favorite (laughs) podcasts on Apple. (laughs) Thankfully, it wasn't ours because that would have been really embarrassing. 
Um, but they've redesigned the whole like subscription thing on there. And the subscribe button is just like a tiny little check mark. And it's really easy to miss. Anyway, if you're not subscribed, even if you don't usually listen to every single episode on release day, if you hit the subscribe button, it, it's something that you can do that's free that helps support our show. Yeah, because if you subscribe to the show, then it also looks at the other shows that you're listening to and it recommends our show to people who also listen to those shows as well. So it helps us. It helps us find more listeners. It helps us, you know, get a bigger audience and it helps us spread the message that we're trying to spread, which is good. If you like this show, you probably like our message and you want more people to hear it. Yeah, so that's that's something I always like, you know, of course, we appreciate our patrons on Patreon so much, and they really keep us going. But if you're looking for things that you can do that are free to support the show, that's one of the big things that people can do to help congratulate us on our 100th episode and our two years of podcasting. I also want to let the listeners know that we have a never before shared piece of Leaving Eden lore. It's a... um. There's a very special treat at the very end of this episode. Oh, man. I'm excited that we get to share that. Um, I think the last thing I have to do before we get into this is to thank our Faith Promise Missions and I Gave It All to your patrons. We have two, count them, two I Gave It All to your patrons. Uh, the, the people that would be uh, dropping their watches and wedding rings into the offering tray <laughs> if we passed it around <laughs> like Jack Hiles did. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> no, um, we we kid, we kid, but we really like honestly because we wouldn't, wouldn't have... actually ask people to do that because we are not yet cult leaders. Oh, absolutely not. That's just unthinkable. Uh, but our two, I gave it all to your patrons are Kathleen Moncrief and Melissa Mose. Thank you I, so I, much to Kathleen and Melissa. Fantastic people. I I just feel so honored, and I also feel honored by our Faith Promise Missions tier patrons, but our Faith Promise Missions tier patrons are Alex Todd, Anisha Patel, Brittany, Brooke Tully, Carrie R., Krissa, Crystal Patterson, Dear Ethan Hansen, the musical. <laughs> Morgan did this. Oh, yeah, Morgan, you've done that. You know, like, we have, we have Eleanor Donahue, Elizabeth DeWorth, Emery Fairlosser. Oh, look at this. Gavi's actual BFF, Meg. <laughs> see, Meg Meg is somebody who gets it. That's See, y- you see what I'm saying? Yes. You see what I'm saying, Morgan? It's that easy. It's that easy. We have Hannah Ross, Jen Kaharski, Jessica Tambo, Jonna. Is that Joy? No, it's Jonna. Mm-hmm. J O H N N A. That's a new one. I think that's a new uh, faith promise. Uh, I, I think it to- might be. Yeah. Well, fantastic. Thank you so much. We have Kater Wee, Kater Wee, Kater Wee, Kater Wee, Catherine Schneider, Kristen Marie, Lauren Vanderwall. I think that's also a new one. Thank you so much. Yeah, welcome to all of our new people. Fantastic. This is this is amazing. Linda Morgan, Lindsay Goss, Lorena Watson. Michaela Upright, Madeline Antrim, Madeline Cusick, Mary Martin, a.k.a. Peter Pan from Broadway, Megan Arendt, Mike Smith, Miranda Day, Rachel Bernadowitz, Rebecca Hoyt, Reverend Robert Stutes, Sarah Reese, Shane Horton, Stephanie Johnson, Susie, Tiffany Enderby, Walnut, Son of Walnut, 
And finally, Wes the Cowboy. Thank you so much to our Faith Promise Missions to your patrons. Yeah, we <laughs> we uh, didn't necessarily think that anybody would sign up for Faith Promise Missions to your patrons. And I'm thankful that we bring the kind of value into your lives that you want to bring value into our lives, too. Yeah, And I hope that's how our, all of our patrons see it, because that's how I see it. So, Sadie. Yes. I want to say... Congratulations to you. It's our 100th episode. We've been making this show for two years. Thank you. And congratulations to you, too. Uh, I was thinking back this week over some of our past episodes that I'm proudest of. And it really hit me that we've made a body of work that I feel like I can really be proud of. I feel the same way. So before we get to our listener question, to, do, do you maybe want to give us a couple of personal highlights from the podcast uh, that we've done over the past two years? So I've gotten a ton of messages from listeners this year that were really, really meaningful. And of course, after my dad died in February, the support and love from this community blew me away and was really, that was really a comfort to me during that time. I think one of the best listener messages I've gotten, though, was something that I got really recently in response to our How to Date After Purity Culture episode. I want to share a little bit of what this person said. I'm going to leave out most of the details for the privacy of the person who messaged me because it was a very personal story that they told. But this person, the crux of their message was that no one has ever told them before in plain and simple language that their worth as a person has absolutely nothing to do with their sexual history or their STI status. The the person that wrote to me has a lot of supportive people in their life who love them and are good to them, but none of those people ever knew that that specific kind of phrasing was what they needed to hear in a very direct way. And we got the honor of being the first people to say it exactly the way that they needed to hear it. So that message was a real highlight of my year. Well, that's fantastic. And I, you know, I really think that like a lot of times when we do say these things, for me at least, um, when Sadie says something that is just like a basic thing like that, you know, that's something... Sometimes, you know, when we're doing the episode, I think, do we really need to say it in those just in like that plain English? And then we get messages like that. And I'm just like, you know what? Yes, absolutely. We do. That's yeah, sort of- with, with stuff like that. I think a lot of our listeners have heard that kind of message from someone else. And that's great. But with the number of listeners that we have and the general life experience of people who listen to this show, there's probably at least one person who really just needs to hear it in the absolute simplest terms. Exactly. And I just don't have that life experience. So it's really more of a perspective thing for for me. But, you know, the other that kind of relates to the next thing that I want to say is I think one of the biggest thing that I've learned over especially this year doing the show is how good a sense you have Sadie for what episodes are going to be a hit and which ones are like, maybe not so much. You know what I'm saying? Like Mm -hmm. it, but the way that it always works out is that the episodes that, that always end up being like, Oh, this one's really nerdy. There's like no way people are going to tune into a hundred minutes of this extremely niche topic. You know what I'm saying? Those always end up being the ones that get the most, attention from people yeah and it it makes me really love our audience because i think it's a it's a bunch of real big nerds like me who want to hear all the details about something yeah and the best thing that you can you know as a creator one of the best things that you can do 
is uh, that you feel is like you feel like you can go into the more like your audience has a demand for you to go into greater, greater, greater and greater detail and more like of the minutiae of things. And that's a really fun feeling to have because that lets us talk about these topics in, in, in more specific ways and in ways that I think are more effective in uh, getting the, the the real message across in general. Yeah, you got you gotta love that. <laughs> and I just want to say thank you to our audience for actually tuning into the really, really, really in-depth stuff and letting us know that you like the really, really, really in-depth stuff because that's our favorite stuff to make. <laughs> I do want to do, um, speaking of really detailed stuff, I want to do another episode about all of the beefs between Baptist preachers. <laughs> this is great. Because we talked about like how uh, Bob Jones and John R. Rice and... Jerry Falwell and Jack Hiles all kind of had their like fallings out and makings up and this, that, and the other. I found some interesting info on that. And then we can maybe talk about the West Coast fundamentalists and how they split from the Midwest fundamentalist. And I think it could be really interesting. Well, you know, with the beefs episode, what I kind of want to do is I kind of want to like find a bunch of like letters that they've all written about each other in publications, like in various uh, Christian publications, and then read all of those over the beats to various hip hop diss tracks you know like so it's Hamilton <laughs> for Baptist preachers yeah, John I mean, R.I. shall not be left alone to his dis- to do his devices and decisive from crisis to crisis is that what we're doing yeah from crisis to crisis <laughs> no, I'll get that's, the beat to that's like- lifted from Hamilton that is not me <laughs> Oh, okay. Well, I'll get the beat from like Ether, get the beat from like No Vaseline, get the beat from Infrared, get the beat from like, uh, <laughs> you know, all, Let's like all of write these. Like, Hamilton for Baptist preachers. That's what I'm hearing, <laughs> which sounds great. But, Bappleton. But I am, I am getting, I think, a feel for what our listeners want to hear. And we get that because we get to communicate with our listeners so much, whether it be through social media or like direct messages on social media or the Facebook group or the subreddit. Like we we want to make what you want to hear. So we we love that we get to be in communication with the listeners. And we also love when we get messages from listeners requesting topics because a lot of times we'll get a request for a topic and we'll be like, oh, that's really good. And we'll put that on our list of things. So Gavi, what were some of your favorite episodes this year? Yeah, so my favorite one, I think a highlight for me was when we talked about the Branch Davidians back in January and when we talked about FLDS and when we talked about Protocols of the Elders of Zion. Those three for me were really good. Um, Branch Davidians was this year? Branch Davidians' first episode of 22. Gosh, no, you're right. It just seems like so long ago. (laughs) It really... I guess it seems like yesterday to me, but also you've been through so much. Yeah, it's been a it's been then. a long year, and it's only September. Yeah, Ugh. I mean, Yikes. my baby was barely walking in January. Yeah, and now she's almost talking. Yeah, well, she has a few words. She says, "Um, she says here you go and bye bye and stop and oh. she says a bunch of stuff." It's really funny when she says she thinks the cat's name is stop because we yell at the cat all day like harry stop <laughs> so now she thinks the cat's name is harry stop <laughs> ah, ah. so she'll just see him and she'll start yelling stop stop, stop. 
<laughs> it's really it's really cute. <laughs> so I think my my favorite episodes this year would be the John Todd episode and the David oh. Gibbs and the CLA episode. John Todd, that one was so John good. John Todd is probably always going to be my favorite episode of all time. John Todd is like I mean John Todd has got to be like top three for me. Yeah. Probably. The the David Gibbs episode I think will always have a special place in my heart because it was written and recorded and done before my dad died. And I was so excited for him to hear it. And then he died two days before it was released. And that was an episode that he had been asking me to do. And I feel like he would have loved that episode. So that one was meant to be like a gift to him. Like, here's an episode that you've been begging me to do. And I think I did a really good job on it. And and now it's more of a an episode in memorial of the things that he loved about my work. So it's bittersweet, but I am really proud of it. I'm really proud of that one too. That was a really uh, that that one was really 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 in depth. There was a lot of research that went into that one. I think that you really put your journalistic skills to good use on that one as well. You know which one else I loved because you know you talked about the John Todd one. I'm talking to you about the Jack Chick and the Beefy Boys for Jesus because that's oh. how we got into John Todd and also like all the satanic panic ones that we did because yes. it yeah that that we did the Beefy Boys for Jesus and then we were like oh shit, we have to talk about satanic panic and then we did that and we were like oh shit, this John Todd guy it seems like he had something to do with this satanic panic thing we should look into that and then we looked into John Todd and we were like oh this guy is stealing from the protocols I guess we better do an episode on that too I, I think we did satanic panic before we did Jack Chick but it was literally I think in we did. I'll have to look it up. I don't know which one it was. I, they were like right with each other. It was, it was I all think, close. Yeah. Yeah. But the thing was that we like read in the John Todd, in the Jack Chick comment that this story came from John Todd. And then we AKA looked at John- Lance Collins and we were like, oh, who is this guy? And then we looked him up and it was just like, who? Like, it was so fucking wild. And we found, man. I do God. still have a bunch more of those Chick comics. So we will go back to that well at some point because two of the comics from that same series are specifically anti-Catholic. And it's really interesting when you dig into the mythology behind those comics because there is another John Todd type source behind them. John Todd is not the only con man that Jack Chick fully believed. In that note, and when we're talking about future episodes... Uh, do we maybe want to give our listeners uh, a, a little preview, a little taste of what we're going to do in the coming months and year? Just give them something to be excited for and maybe thank them a little bit for being so awesome and supporting us this whole year. Yeah, that sounds great. So let's do that. And then we'll jump into these how-to questions. What are you most excited about that we hope to cover in our third year of podcasting? Wow, three years. Whew. So... There's one documentary episode that I've been really excited to make, um, and it's sort of in the planning stages right now, and we can't tell you guys exactly what it is, but it involves us going on the internet and infiltrating a movement that Sadie and I believe has cult-like tendencies. It's relating to a topic that we've touched on before early in the show's run, but we're really going to do a deep dive, do like a full infiltration uh, a documentary type episode on it. 
And I can't wait to get started on doing that. That's going to be a lot of fun. And I can't yeah, wait I know to the, the one that, that you're the most excited about coming up is just not something that we can talk about on air yet. <laughs> so no, that was kind just, of a trick just, question. We don't um, want to, we don't want to like blow the lid on it before it happens. Yeah. Okay. So while you were talking, I went and just for fun, I counted how many episode ideas we have on our running list. Do you want to take a stab at how many topics are on there? My guess is 130. So we are at 93 topics on the things we want to do soon list. <laughs> but there's ones we've talked about that aren't on that list that we, we haven't quite, that we never got around to adding to it. Right. So, so they, and then there are like, there are things that are just sitting in our email because I will wake up in the middle of the night and have a podcast idea and I'll just email it from my email address to the podcast email address. Um, and then go back to sleep. So there's there's those. And then there are a couple sub lists that I didn't count, but I just counted our main list and it's 93 things. Damn, that's a lot. So we're don't worry about this show going off the air anytime in the near future because we've got plenty of stuff to talk about. <laughs> so this year, I really, really want to do an episode on Bob Larson, mostly because I want you to have to watch his exorcisms because I think your reactions will be hilarious. <laughs> My God, that sounds amazing. Let's do it. Okay. Okay. You know what else we haven't even touched on yet? What? Several months back, we had a listener send us in the mail a box of SM Davis Solve Family Problems DVDs. It is sitting about three feet away from me right now. Like a whole ass box of 20 DVDs and CDs and stuff or whatever is in it. Um, and we haven't even, we've like looked at them, but we haven't like put them in the, we haven't discussed what's on them yet. I really want to, okay, you know what we should do with these? Because they're all like about solving problems. We should wait until one of these problems actually arises in our life and then try to use the DVDs to figure out if the. <laughs> advice actually works i i know i don't think i will be using sm davis's advice on my child it's mostly about children and i don't think i will be doing that oh right because his advice is just like beat the out of them until they obey you and- well no his his advice is more psychologically abuse them until they obey you that's worse yes that's, yeah <laughs> i and i i don't plan on doing either of those things The other one I'm really excited to do, though, uh, that we plan on in the next few months, uh, as soon as we can kind of get it all together, is an episode about the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, colloquially known as Mormons. We've talked before about how we don't want to just come on the show where neither of us are or have ever been affiliated with this group and just make declarations like we know everything. When we did the... um. When we did the FLDS episode, I felt like I had enough testimony from people who had been part of that group through the documentaries I had watched and the articles that I had read that I could paint a clear picture. And I felt like my own experience was similar enough that I could connect with the experiences that I was seeing in these documentaries. I don't quite feel like I have that because the current Mormon and ex-Mormon experience is so broad. But we have a plan. We have a plan for how we are going to give you a fair and balanced view. It's going to be a bit of work to put together, but I'm really excited for when we get there. That's going to be really good. We're really excited to do that one. Um, 
the other one that I'm excited for is we're going to get Shoshana back on and we're going to talk about uh, Michael and Debbie Pearl and to train up a child. Oh, right. That I mean, that's a big one that a lot of people have very negative experiences with the parenting techniques that are in that book. And that's something that we need to talk about. Yeah, absolutely. So this has been a fun uh, look backwards and look forwards, but people have sent us some really good questions to sew up the how-to series for the time being. So I want to get into them. Yeah. Um, so I'm going to take the first question. Is that cool? Go uh, ahead. I'll read, the, I'll read the first question. Um, and so this is from Tyler. Uh, uses he, him pronouns. Excellent. Hello, I wanted to submit two questions for the how-to episode, if possible. Well, you absolutely may, Tyler. Thank you for writing to us. So Tyler's questions are, number one, how do I come out of the closet to my friends and family who may still be in the IFB? And second question, how do I return to church and find a healthy community after years of being in the IFB and after coming out? Ooh. Great questions, Tyler. Sadie, these are two questions that I have no idea how to answer. Do you want to give Tyler some advice here? Sure. Okay. So first question, how do you come out of the closet to friends and family who are still IFB? My biggest piece of advice on coming out in general is something that I rarely hear talked about, and I need to ask y'all to follow me all the way through before you draw conclusions about what you think I'm about to say. My biggest piece of advice is that before you come out, you need to consider why you are coming out. There are a ton of reasons that people come out, and I think that defining your reasons can really help you in the process. Rather than just like coming out because you feel like, oh, I realized my identity, therefore I have to come out and I have to do it right now. I think that taking a minute to think about your why can help you frame it in a more positive way, regardless of what reaction you get from the people to whom you are coming out. So are you are you wanting to come out because you don't want to have to hide things about yourself? Do you have a partner that you want to share about on social media? Do you want to dress a certain way or post about attending Pride? Is it because your identity is a big part of who you are and you want people to know that part of you? Is it because you want to be referred to correctly, whether people are talking about your sexual orientation or your gender identity, you don't like the idea of people talking about you incorrectly? Whatever your reason is, it's a good and valid reason. Because I want to is also a perfectly good and valid reason. But I think that having a reason set in your mind can help you uh, feel more confident in your choice to come out and to do it at the time that you've chosen. And I think it can also help you choose the when and the where and the how of the way that you want to craft this experience for yourself. Your coming out is for you. It's for your reasons and it's for your good. It's a statement of self-love and self-acceptance and thinking through your reasons. I think when you when you consider your reasons and you have a why statement in your mind on why you are coming out, it contextualizes it as being about you and for you and helps to alleviate just a little bit any negative reactions that you anticipate or that you do get from people. And then second, think about what is the outcome that you're hoping for when you do come out. Of course, we all want the same thing. We all want acceptance and love for exactly who we are. We all want to say, hey, family member, hey, friend, I realized that I'm gay. And for that person to say back to us, 
I'm so glad you figured that out about yourself and I love you so much. But if that outcome isn't likely or realistic for your situation, what are you hoping for? Are you hoping just not to hear toxic responses like, oh, well, I'll pray for you to change your mind? Or what did I do wrong raising you? If, well, I love you anyway, is the best that you can hope for? Is that what you're hoping for? Are you anticipating any of the people that you're planning on coming out to rejecting you as a person? These are hard things to think about. And I think these are worries that everyone has uh, who is planning on coming out. And I, th- and I think that many, if not most, people who come out as LGBTQ fear some or all of these responses from certain people in their lives. But if you know what you're hoping not to hear, you can maybe get ahead of that a little bit when you're speaking. For example, if you're speaking to parents, you could say, I realized that I am gay and it is not because of anything you did raising me. It is just the way that I am naturally. If you anticipate that someone is going to say something awful, like you're going to go to hell, you can repa- you can prepare a response. If you anticipate that objection, you can already have it in your head. Well, if they say that, I am going to say, I don't believe that God is going to send me to hell for the way that they made me, if you're still a believer. If you're not a believer, you could say, well, I don't think that is true. Or if you think that somebody is going to say that they will pray that God will change your mind, you can have a planned response to that. You could plan to say, if you're, if you are a believer, you could plan to say, I believe that God made this, I believe that God made me this way, but I appreciate that you care. If you are not a believer or if you're agnostic, you could say, uh, I don't believe that God will change my mind. Uh, and if they're really being a dick, you can just tell them to f*** off. But you can have like a planned response. <laughs> if you anticipate the objections, I know it's anxiety inducing. But for me, having a planned response is worth that anxiety. I really believe that when you think through those reasons for coming out and the responses that you're realistically hoping for, it can make you feel more prepared for that conversation and more confident in the timing and the method of coming out that you've chosen. In general, if you think that the response is going to be safe and nonviolent, I recommend picking a quiet time in private. This is just my opinion, but I personally think that choosing a high-stress time like the middle of Thanksgiving dinner puts unreasonable stress on you, the person who is coming out. And if there is a bad reaction, it could spoil that holiday. If that holiday is important to you, it could make it more difficult in the future. I think the TV trope of calling a family meeting and making an announcement, it puts undue pressure on the person who is coming out because not only are they talking about something that's personal and important to them, they're also having to basically MC a family meeting. This is not about making other people comfortable or I don't want to ruin other people's holiday. It's not about that. It's about taking the pressure off of yourself. Sometimes that having... This conversation with the whole family at once during a family meeting type scenario may be the only way that works, and that is okay. But I I want you to think about taking the pressure off of yourself and making it easier for yourself. If you anticipate a reaction that's not safe, being in a public place is perfectly fine. Being in a neutral location and the social pressure of having others around can temper a bad reaction and preserve your safety. My last recommendation would be try to talk to key family members before you say anything on social media. Again, 
if this is going to be a risk to your physical or emotional safety, by all means, disregard. (laughs) Your coming out is about your safety, your reasons, and your wishes for the future. Make the people that you care about feel the most respected as best as you can. You are including them in this part of who you are. But balance their feelings and yours. And, and remember that it is it is primarily about your safety. Uh, it, I think coming out is one of those things like a wedding day. Because you can go on the internet and you can hear all of these opinions about how your wedding is your day. And if you do something that all the guests hate, then they can just deal with it. Because you should have exactly what you want no matter what. And you can also go on the internet and, and read tons and tons of stories about wedding guests who were horribly uncomfortable at a wedding or bored out of their minds because the bride and groom did a three-hour photo shoot between the ceremony and the reception. You can read tons and tons of guests complaining about weddings that they've been in. And just like that, uh, I think that a coming out experience needs to be balanced. You and your needs are number one. But like a wedding, you want it to be a nice experience for your guests um, if they are participating and not being There's nothing wrong with just hitting the most important people in person and then letting everyone else find out on Facebook. And if you do choose to come out on social media, there is nothing wrong with posting something and then not checking the comments immediately until you're in the right headspace to deal with whatever comments you get, whether it's positive or negative or a mix. So that's some general advice. (laughs) Excellent practical advice from Sadie Carpenter right there. Wow. Fantastic. On your second question, Tyler, about returning to church, uh, what I found is that truly affirming churches will have it posted on their website that they are affirming. This isn't going to be a hard and fast rule. I am sure that there are some affirming churches out there that don't have it spelled out on the website for whatever reason. But in my experience, if it's an affirming church, they will go out of their way to let you know. Yeah. In Portland, a lot of the churches that you just see, you know, when you're driving around, you'll see a church and you'll see that they'll have a pride flag flying outside uh, just to let people know that when they get there, they're entering a welcoming community. Mm -hmm. That's exactly the kind of thing that you're looking for. I, I want to define what I mean when I say affirming. A person or an organization that's affirming, when you say, I am X thing, they say, yes, I agree with you. You are X you are that. So if you say, I am a trans woman, they say, yes, you are a trans woman. If they say, I'm a gay man, they say, yes, you are a gay man. If you say, I'm non-binary, they say, yes, you are non-binary. It's a step beyond acceptance because if you say, I am a gay man and someone replies, well, I accept that you think that you're a gay man and I'll accept that you're going to continue to behave like a gay man, that's acceptance, but it's certainly not affirming. So I think if affirmation goes a step beyond acceptance. And that's what I hope organizations mean when they list themselves as affirming. And that's what I mean when I say it. I've actually gotten several of these questions recently from people who are wanting to get back into church, but worried about finding a healthy community. So this advice is going to be more broadly for people who have religious trauma, but want to give church another go. I see a danger in the thought that people may find a church 
They preach your values from the pulpit. They're welcoming and warm and friendly, and they pay lip service to all the things that are important to you, whatever those are. And you think, perfect, awesome, this church seems great. And then you jump in, and because you were groomed by the IFB or another high control group, you want to jump in with both feet. You get involved, you start to trust and depend on people right away, but then later you might find out that the church is not what it seemed on the surface. Maybe there was a recent scandal covered up. Maybe what is said from the pulpit doesn't match the actual practice of the church. Maybe they say on the website that they welcome LGBT people, but then you try to join the choir and you're told that you are too visibly queer to be a choir member. A friend of mine recently got involved with a modern, apparently progressive church that said that they believed survivors, uh, whether survivors of abuse or survivors of church hurt, they claim to be a trauma-informed church. But when she disclosed her own lived experience of both abuse and subsequent church hurt to a pastor, he gaslit her and he told her to her face, that didn't happen. I don't believe you. Wow. Yeah. That's, that's horrible. Yeah, and this is from a church that is publicly, oh, we're trauma-informed. Oh, we're, uh, we believe survivors. Like, no, well, no, you don't. Yeah, well, so how do you know the good ones from the bad? Would you suggest, um, for, for instance, like with the uh, with queer affirmation, that you'd want to seek out a church that doesn't just say, oh, we are queer affirming, but also you'd want to seek one out that has visibly queer people in leadership positions. That would absolutely be a green flag. My my other piece of advice, though, is that it is you are probably just not going to find the perfect fit on the first try by looking at a website and then going, this is where I'm going. And then you join that church and it's done and it's over and everything is great forever. It's going to be a little bit more like dating after being in a bad relationship, because after you leave a bad relationship, you might be vulnerable to being taken in by another abuser. If you get in that situation, whether the the dating metaphor that I'm using or in a church situation, it is not your fault. There is nothing wrong with you. You are not stupid or bad. There are just a lot of shitty people in the world, both in the dating world and in the church world. I encourage people not to jump in too quickly, to think critically, to not get in the honeymoon phase with the church and overlook red flags. Look on the internet to to see if there are other people talking about this church, whether they're saying positive things or negative things. When you attend, see if there are other visibly queer people there. Seek out being acquainted with them. I checked with the friend that I mentioned a minute ago who was gaslit by a supposedly trauma-informed church. So first I reached out to see if it was okay if I included that little snippet of her story in this segment, and she said it was. But she also said that I should mention that joining small groups before fully committing and jumping in and like becoming a member of a church can be a really good idea. And I thought that was a great suggestion. If a church offers small groups, you may be able to attend those services like a Bible study in someone's home. Number one, you're not risking triggering yourself in a church service. And number two, you can get to know people who will give you valuable insight on what the church is like when the stage lights are off. And she also said that If a pastor is okay with you attending a small group 
meeting or like a Sunday school class without attending main service every week or without demanding that you become a member of the church, that that's a really good green flag. And I totally agree with that. One piece of advice that I I have, I think this just generally goes for everybody, is that if you're thinking of becoming involved in a community, look at the community and see if you can already see yourself being reflected there. Um, Like, are there other people like you involved already? People who look like you are likely to have some life experiences in common with you. And at the very least, it's a conversation starter. If I see somebody with bright, bright dyed hair, uh, we're immediately have one more thing in common that can connect us. But that's exactly what I recommend. Find the people who look like you, find the people with common interests, and try to connect with them and see if you can find people that you vibe with. And then that's who you're going to get a straight answer from and not some like canned BS answer if you did happen to walk into a church that has something to hide. Uh, I also recommend check out a church's prayer list. If they publish a like a corporate prayer list from for prayer requests from people in the church, what is on there and what is not on there can say a lot, but the way that things are worded also says a ton about a church. Read through it. Consider why the words might have been chosen that are on there. It's very interesting. <laughs> really think through why did they word it that way? And that'll say it's it speaks volumes. One final piece of advice, when the church offers you something to do, an activity, a church service, um, a volunteer opportunity, whatever they're offering you is the first thing that they are offering. You should try this, an opportunity for you to be served or is the first thing they're offering you an opportunity to serve other people? There is absolutely nothing wrong with service opportunities, volunteer opportunities. Those can be refreshing for you and it can edify you as much as it does the people that you're helping. But in my opinion, the very first thing a church tells you you should try, especially if you are a survivor of religious abuse and they know that, should not be an opportunity to serve others. If you are a survivor and you are there for healing and help the first thing they offer you should be an opportunity for you to get served. They should be asking you at least one time how they can help you before they start asking you how you would like to help others. And uh, okay, I think that's it. I hope that helps. (laughs) That was a lot of really excellent advice. Would you like me to read the next question? Yeah, if you want to. Yeah, go for it. So this is from Kate, who uses she, her pronouns. Hi, Kate. Hi, Hi, Kate. Hi, Sadie and Gabby. I have a listener question for you. How should I handle instances where my coworkers unknowingly trigger me? For example, I have a coworker who lives in a different city, and every time we have a meeting with each other, she always emails me to tell me how excited she is to fellowship with me. I am triggered by that specific word. She is absolutely amazing and very sweet, so I know she would be upset if she knew she did anything, if she knew that anything she did was making me distressed or uncomfortable. My boss is aware of the basics of my trauma, but none of my coworkers know. How do I approach this, or should I even bring it up at all? Man, fellowship with that's a that's a weird phrase to send in a work email. That it is, and it's highly specific. And oh, this is a tough one. Yeah, I mean, what is is? I mean, she could be super religious, or she could just be like a massive Lord of the Rings fan. Or the coworker could have been raised religious and just doesn't have a better synonym yet. Yeah. You never um, know. So, so if I were you, um, 
I'd put myself in the coworker's shoes. How would how do you think she would feel if she knew that just one word that was that she was typing in the email was going to trigger you from your traumatic upbringing? I'm sure that she would be absolutely mortified that she was causing you distress. And I really think I, I mean, I honestly, in my opinion, I think you should just be straightforward about it and tell her. You could respond to her in email. You, um, I mean, she'll probably respond to that email by apologizing to you, and then she'd never bring it up again. So that's an option. Make sure that if you hit the reply button, you reply to her and not reply all when you do never this. Never reply all to anything. <laughs> no, absolutely not. Uh, it's just, a trap. Yeah. I, I, um, I don't know. I just think the most important thing to remember here is that right now you're putting your desire to not offend your coworker above your mental health need to not be triggered by that one word that she's sending you. So I think that maybe due to it may be due to your fundamentalist upbringing that teaches AFAB people that they need to occupy as little space as possible and be in as unobtrusive as possible. So maybe take this as an opportunity to prioritize your own needs in a healthy way. I, I like your thoughts on this. Uh, I wanted to say that I do think it's totally valid to ask people to switch up their terminology around you. You deserve to feel comfortable in your workplace and being repeatedly triggered, even if it's by something that other people might consider small, it's simply bad for your physical health as well as your mental health. It's not It's not healthy in any sense. Being triggered over and over again can cause physical stress reactions. I want to bring in an analogy that I have seen a lot in office-type workplaces. Sometimes there are people in an office who are very sensitive to strong smells, like a strong smell will give them a bad headache or a migraine. And most often, people who work in their office will just be asked, don't wear perfume to work, don't wear cologne to work period. If strong smells gave you migraines, you would be totally within your rights as a worker to ask the people who sat near you in the office to do low smell or no smell, no perfumes or anything. And this situation is really no different from that. We Nobody would ever question, I mean, nobody who's not a jerk would ever question somebody who needed their person who sat next to them to not wear strong perfume or cologne. This is not, this is not that different. You deserve to ask for what you need to be physically and mentally healthy in your workplace. That being said, you have my full sympathy for having to do this over email. Mm. This is going to be tough to navigate without the benefit of vocal expression. Maybe, maybe, Kate, you could find a way to speak to your coworker over the phone. I don't know if you and she ever talk over the phone, but if that is something that you sometimes do, maybe try that instead. Or like a Zoom call. Or like a Zoom Zoom call. call Like maybe next time you're on a meeting Zoom call together, because that is something that, that Kate and the coworker do together. Maybe next time they're on a call together, Kate could like pull off the coworker like, for five minutes at the end of the call and say, oh, so and so, could you stay on the call for a second? I wanted to ask you a question. Yeah. Or just say, I want to uh, just follow up on something with you real quick. Right. Like- and that may, it, this is just going to be so hard to get the tone right over email. I don't know the office politics and if that would be weird or not, but if that's a possibility, that might really be helpful. As far as actually making the request, I would, I personally like to frame these things as this is a weird fun fact about me. 
And it gives you an out where you're almost definitely going to make it out of the situation without having to disclose religious trauma. If you do have to say something about religion, at least you're not going to have to get into the dirty details. You want to put yourself in the position of power where you choose how much you disclose. So I would write this or say this as, hey, coworker's name, there is no way you could have known this and this is not your fault at all. I have a really weird association with the word fellowship. Between you and me, could we call it getting together instead? Thanks so much. I know this is a weird little quirk. Uh, I always look forward to when we're on the same call. It would make me so much more comfortable. Thank you again. So when you frame this as fun fact, you're making it clear that you don't blame the coworker because there's no way that she could have known about this little quirk of yours. You are offering an alternative term. Let's call it getting together instead. So she knows there is a safe term for her to use in the future. And then you're reiterating that this doesn't change your professional or personal affinity for each other. There's no easy way out of this one. Um, This is a sticky situation. I have been in a similar situation. But that formula of totally not your fault, I'm weird. (laughs) This is a safer way to put this term for me. Here's a new term that you can always use with me that will be safe. Thank you so much for letting me be who I am. And I still like you. Like that formula has worked for me almost every time. Let's take the offering break and come back and do some more questions. Sounds great. Let's do it. Hey, Sadie here. If this is your first time listening to the Leaving Eden podcast, make sure you go back and check out episode 57. It's a primer episode for new listeners. That episode tells my personal story and gives you all the terms and information that you'll need to know going forward. Also, check out our cult true crime series, The First Family of Fundamentalism, so that you can get the whole cult story. If you like our show, you can support us by joining our Patreon, where we have extended and uncensored episodes, as well as other bonus content available. You can also join in the discussion in our Facebook group, That group is called Eden Exodus. Tell a friend, tell a family member, tell your worst enemy. The Leaving Eden podcast is a fully independent podcast, and we really appreciate your support. Now, back to the show. Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out-of-pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what-ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. We are back from our break. Uh, episode 100, two years into doing this show. It's awesome. It's great. We love you. And we're answering listener questions about how to do things. And this is a question from Theo, who uses he pronouns and they pronouns. That makes it easy. Hi, Sadie and Gavi. Do you have any advice on how to avoid conflict with people still in fundamentalism? Ooh. I find it difficult to do things with fundies without the conversation leading towards issues we disagree on. 
for context, I am trans and I want to be there for friends still in fundamentalism, but I also need to put my foot down about misgendering and dead naming amongst other things. Much love from Australia. Theo. Theo. Thank you for writing to us all the way from Australia, Theo. So it must've taken a while for the email to get here. Yeah. I mean, it, it, I'm surprised it didn't come through upside down. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, this is a, like how, so how do we get fundies to not misgender and dead name people? Serious question. How do we get them? Because I don't know, maybe bring up to them. Because the misgendering thing, people, I feel like that's going to be more difficult. The dead naming people, maybe bring up to them that they don't call, they don't dead name the Apostle Paul, do they? Mm. Right? Because he he went through a major life change and he realized that his old name didn't represent him anymore. Okay, that is an excellent point. That's just the first thing that popped into my head. I'm just impressed that think? at this point, you know that much about Paul. Yeah. No, I, I think that people have to decide what works for them. Can you personally be friends with someone who believes so differently from you if they are willing to at least show the respect of using your correct name and pronouns when you're around? That's not a gotcha question. I realize it might have come off as one. There are trans people and others who could not feel safe or good about that situation. And that is fine. But there are people who are maybe a little bit more like me and what Theo seems to be like, who are willing to blur those lines a bit if their personal boundaries are respected, like having his correct name and pronouns used. So this is another question sort of around that. Like, how many fundamentalists have never knowingly met a transgender person? Right? Beca mm -hmm. Because really, like, the level to which these reactionaries like these they're going off and they're demonizing trans it's nuts it's like completely off the rails it's beyond the pale it's so it it's is so wild. well you remember jill rodriguez post about the first and possibly only time she's ever encountered a trans person and her pearl clutching was incredibly intense yeah, she, it was like she she was just like afraid to breathe the same air as this person. It was, it was awful and bonkers. disgusting and like yeah. very slightly funny because it's Jill Rodriguez and she's funny. She's like that stressed over like yeah. seeing uh, over like seeing somebody that I I don't know. Like but that she I mean, saw that's a person with her eyeballs who she visually perceived to be trans. Yeah. And it scared her, like, for weeks. Well, like, what does she think is going to... I, I, but that's, like, how prejudice works, is that they say all these horrible, horrible, horrible things about people, about, um, you know, transgender people right now is the big one that they're saying all these horrible things about. And they'll say that to the congregation, and then, so that if they meet them, if, if they meet somebody in person who is trans, they'll be afraid of them, or they'll hate them, or they'll just not be willing to get to know them and realize that they're just as human as anybody else and that they're created by God just as much as anybody else's. And it's, I mean, that's how prejudice works and that's why it's such a powerful weapon. Right, exactly. It sounds like this is a special situation because it sounds to me like Theo has built a bit of a bridge here with his friends. Like maybe they are willing to see him as a real human person. Regardless of how accepting they are of Theo's personal beliefs, 
or his transition, they are at least willing to accept his humanity. So this is a little bit different than some of the interactions that we most commonly see with fundamentalists and LGBT people. So, Theo, I think this is all about boundaries. You've got to set the boundary that your friends are going to refer to you with your correct name and correct pronouns. So as far as how to actually do that, I think so much of dealing with transphobes and people who are not trans affirming is the same as dealing with toddlers, (laughs) 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 which I'm getting more experience with daily. Um, So you set a boundary. Shots fired. And then there's a consequence when they cross the boundary. It's not a punishment. It's not meant to hurt them. It is a consequence. So I do natural consequence parenting. So if my toddler refuses to eat lunch and throws it on the floor repeatedly instead, I don't punish her. I don't try to hurt her. And I don't force feed her either. I let the natural consequence of her actions happen as long as that natural consequence is not going to hurt her. So she throws her food on the floor and doesn't eat it. The natural consequence is that she will be hungry until snack time. And with compassion, you know, of course, I might move snack time up 30 minutes because she can't tell time yet. And she's too little to be hungry for a long time. But you you set a boundary. And when that boundary is crossed, the consequence of having a boundary crossed happens. So in this case, if somebody calls you your dead name, they crossed a boundary, and then the natural consequence might be that you don't respond to that name because that is not your name. And then if somebody repeatedly or maliciously continues to dead name or misgender you, the natural consequence of that action may be that you can't continue the friendship. It's not a punishment. It's not well, you hurt me, so I'm going to hurt you by taking my friendship away from you. It's a consequence. You know, I think that treating TERFs and other transphobes like toddlers is great. Yeah, also shitty men. (laughs) Toddler parenting works great on shitty men. You know, also, I would rather hang out with Chuck than I would hang out with, like, TERFs or... Oh, yeah. Chuck's a great hang. Those sorts of people. Chuck is a great hang. Good at basketball. (laughs) So I think (laughs) this idea of like boundaries and consequences applies well to topics where you disagree. You like Theo, you should be able to go hang out with your friends without them going on a diatribe about like, I'm just guessing here, but reproductive rights or vaccines or politics or whatever it is that you disagree on those. You do not have to talk about those things every single time you see somebody. It can feel like someone is attacking you or your beliefs if they bring up the thing that you disagree on every single time you see them. You should be able to redirect the conversation to whatever activity that you are doing that you enjoy together. And these people, if they want to be your friend, they should be able to continue to connect with you on the things that you have in common, even if that list of things you have in common is a little bit smaller than the list of things that you disagree on. And if that, if you're not able to redirect them or they're not able to connect with you on anything that you agree on, that's an issue. So if they want to have if they want to ask questions or even have a spirited disagreement about something you don't agree on, if you are in a headspace to actually get into these things, they should be able to initiate that in an appropriate time and place. And you should still be able to expect them to be civil about it. So those are 
in my opinion, the minimum expectations for maintaining a friendship with someone who you have a lot of issues that you disagree on. This is yet another situation where I love canned responses or like pre-prepared responses. So Theo, you can have a planned response to if someone calls you your dead name. Same response, same inflection, every time, my name is Theo. And that... It, it protects you because you are not on the spot making up a different response every time that that happens. You have a go-to response. You can also do pre-planned responses to these issues that you disagree about. So if you're just hanging out with friends and somebody tries to bring up something that you have disagreed about a dozen times before, you can just say, I really don't want to discuss that right now. Or, you, I've expressed my beliefs on this. You know what I believe. I'm not going to rehash the same conversation and my beliefs are not changing. Or you can just change the subject. Any of those methods should be acceptable to your friends. And if they're not, a, a deeper conversation might need to be had. You're just going to have to use your judgment on why are they bringing up these issues right now? Because I think that does inform how we treat other people. So are they bringing up these issues because they're looking to learn? Like, are they being obnoxious about it on the surface, but secretly they want you to change their mind? Is that the vibe you get? Or do they just have diarrhea of the mouth and they cannot help spewing their cruddy thoughts on everything everywhere that they go? <laughs> A lot of people who are very caught up in an ideology, any religious or political or a health philosophy... They can really be this way if you like the meme is that people who do CrossFit are this way, but it really can apply to a lot of us. They are not <laughs> trying. They may not be trying to hurt you. They may just be so entrenched in these ideas and this is what they think about all the time. So this is what they talk about all the time when they don't have anything else to discuss. It could also be, though, that they are trying to annoy you or get a rise out of you or force you to change your mind. Your response might really be different depending on which one of these situations seems to fit better, but you can use your prepared responses. And again, like toddlers, with consistency, they will figure out that your response is always going to be the same unless you're having an actual good faith sit down discussion about something. You know, another reason why they might be doing this is maybe they want the validation from an trans person that they're you know, their ivory tower opinion that is based more on ideology than on somebody's actual life and their experience and the actual human consequences of, of what they believe, that they want validation that what they believe isn't hateful and that it's all the SJWs on Twitter and Reddit who called them out on their bullshit. And those guys are the ones that have it wrong actually um you know what i'm saying right and my response to somebody who is treating me like that would be a lot different than my response to somebody who was just kind of obsessed with this ideology and it just came out of their mouth all the time in a non-malicious way yeah on on twitter and reddit um <laughs> i don't respond yeah. on twitter anymore <laughs> No, don't i've started um, like typing out my responses and then screenshotting it and then deleting it and never posting healthy. it that's healthy no i just that has been somebody, so good for my mental health i just go i just say shit. i just say i just like, like write what i want to say and then i think about is this really is this going to be heard is this going to help anybody and like 99 percent of the time the answer is no so i just like 
backspace it and move on with my day. Usually I'll write out my response. And if I think it needs to be more scathing, I'll just add, you should be ashamed of yourself for even thinking these things onto the end of it. I've yelled that at cat callers <laughs> before. Damn. Yeah. I mean, it, oh, one it, time, one time a guy cat called me and I told him that his mother is embarrassed of his existence. Damn. That's fire. I, I dig that. I, it felt I, great. I, yeah. You know, also, I mean, the thing that you were saying about canned responses, you know, what it reminded me of, you know, how every in the good place, every time somebody calls Janet girl, she says, not a girl. Yes. Yes. <laughs> that's, what it, that's what it made me think of. That's, though. Every- that's it, though, because it's the same response every time. And if their goal is to push your buttons, this is a toddler parenting thing, because a lot of times, like the goal is just to test boundaries and push your buttons. And if they get the exact same response every time, it's boring. They're not getting what they want. And then they can choose to continue being a person or be a better person. And then you know how to handle the situation. Well, it's like, you know, when you're dealing with a narcissist, you you know about the gray rock method? Yes, this is very you know inspired this? by that. So, like, the, the whole idea is that a narcissist wants your attention. They want to, like, suck energy from you. And the way that you get them to not be able to do that is you make yourself as boring to them as possible. So, you make yourself like a gray rock. So, if they say something that's going to incite you, you just, like, kind of just, like, you know, like, say, oh, that's interesting, huh? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm sorry to hear that. You know, that like mm-hmm. that. And then like you just kind of do that. Um no, but like the other thing about this is if they ha- start talking to you about this stuff, and if they actually approach you in good faith, having serious conversations about your identity may actually help humanize trans people for the people that you know. And I know it's kind of shitty for every trans person having to be the representative of their community to people who are, I don't want to say always intent on misunderstanding them, but people who just have a lot of prejudice against them. You know, it's like, it's, it's like walking uphill. It's like Mm -hmm. pulling, pulling a bus uphill. Um, But there's always a chance that their love for you could overcome the prejudice that they've been taught. I really hate respectability politics. Respectability politics is the general idea that any person from a marginalized community, whether that be gender or sexuality or race or whatever, must be the perfect example of their community at all times and conform to the non-marginalized group and always be kind and gracious and sweet and accept dehumanizing questions and emotionally support others through their very difficult experience of having a marginalized friend or family member. That's disgusting. So I can never support the idea that every individual trans person has to be a beacon of perfection to the world in order for all trans people to be respected everywhere all the time. Nor can I blame individual trans people or people from any other marginalized group when they inevitably behave in an imperfect and human way including getting mad and yelling at someone sometimes sometimes you got to be hostile man sometimes it is a human reaction to having your very ability to live in peace and safety constantly threatened on every level from tiny microaggressions to nationwide persecution that is a normal reaction what i so i don't i i am terrified of coming off as a advocate for respectability politics because that is not my belief at all 
What I can advocate for is bridge building. I think the antidote to respectability politics is instead of expecting marginalized people to be the the gracious educators of the world, the antidote is kindly asking them to educate the very closest people to them when they can, when it's safe, and when they feel able. A lot of marginalized people may be deep in the trauma of their experience, and they truly cannot be that educator for anyone, not even one person right now. And I fully validate that. But for those of us who are able, we can be that person for one other person or three other people. If you have the privilege to be able to be that educator, do what you can. That's yeah. It's also kind of rough because if you ask like uh, a, a, a white supremacist or somebody tell me about what you believe they will send you like 80 different links immediately to various conspiracy theories and say look yeah, at this a this lot going of on. This badly going designed on. websites yes yeah a lot of ba- like they'll just immediately be like oh absolutely it's like if you ask like a uh, evangelist oh tell me about what you believe they will be like oh f- yeah let me tell you everything that <laughs> right. i believe. like well because they have yeah. the privilege they're in the I don't know if I want to say oppressor class, but they're in the non-marginalized group. Right. But they'll So they are know, more likely to have the headspace and the social clout to be able to do that. Right. And they'll just be excited that they get to tell somebody about it and that somebody's interested and they'll just be like, yes, we can get another one. But you know Right, if- because they are not traumatized by years and years and years of <laughs> bullshit. Or they're not in or like because you're not trying to recruit somebody else to be trans you're just trying to get them to accept contrary you. to popular belief contrary to popular belief yeah um right and th- and you're no you're absolutely right there is a goal difference you know if if the goal of the other group is to wipe out your group and your goal is to live in peace and safety there is a clear difference there yeah one's a, it's it's a lot I don't want to say easier. It's it, playing offense is very different from playing defense. Mm-hmm. Um, but it, that brings me to is that there's plenty of content creators out there on the internet who make excellent educational content, breaking all of this stuff down really simply. So, you know, if there's somebody who you think has done a great job of this and has made some content or something or made some, some information available that has really helped you realize things about yourself. Maybe instead of just being like, well, I've got to explain this to them. I've got to be the one to explain it to them. Send them a link. Because the last thing that we'd want is for somebody to try to educate themselves on like trans issues, and then they'll end up binging a bunch of like gender critical garbage from mm-hmm. Prager U or like Daily Watch. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like I'm, A few months ago, they were promoting the hell out of some propaganda documentary uh from from daily wire and how evil and wrong transgender people are and they're gonna try to destroy western culture and like i got ads for it on my instagram i know everyone else i know got ads for it on their instagram and people were just like tweeting about like why the am i getting ads for this and then they were just like ha we made the libs mad but like i'm sure that like plenty of people saw that and they're like, well, I want to see what the other side has to say about it. So let me watch this. You don't want them to to be in that situation. You want them to to like you want to maybe recommend something to them so that they'll 
look at what you have to say instead of looking at something that somebody's got to say that's really going to be just really toxic and bad and, and prejudicial. So going to a a non-LGBTQ rights issue, this was the entire reason I did our abortion episode the way that I did, because that entire episode was this is what changed my mind. This is what changed. It was entirely from the lens of this is what changed my thinking. We've been trying to name drop helpful educational accounts as we go along. Um, maybe our like two year anniversary going into year three project should be to make an accessible list of educational accounts for people who want to help educate family and friends. Yeah, or just like, because that's kind of what we do when we're trying to tell people about fundamentalism. So if we could just like, if like if somebody was going to say, well, uh, this is what my upbringing was like, but I don't want to explain it to you. So listen to this podcast and they send our podcast to people like we know that that's happened for mm-hmm. for multiple people because we've gotten letters about it. So do that for somebody else, you know, for if there's some content that you really that like really explains your experience in a way that that you identify mm-hmm. with that makes you feel like affirmed then send that to somebody else so that they can get it but that you don't have to do all the f- work of explaining it to them and and reliving that emotional journey that can be so exhausting and right. so draining so i guess what we're saying to theo is that they should think through what kind like where these conflicts are coming from with their friends and be bold about setting boundaries, use the gray rock skills and the canned responses to uphold boundaries, and then respond appropriately if people continue to cross those boundaries. And as far as as um, issues that they disagree on with their friends, use resources and protect their own mental health first, but see if the friends are open to coming to more of a middle ground, or if the friends are just there to antagonize them and make trouble. Ready to go to our next question? Yeah, let's do it. So this question is from Michaela, who uses she, they pronouns. Michaela says, Hi, Sadie and Gavi. First off, thank you, thank you so much for creating and sharing this podcast. My deconstruction has come such a long way since I've been listening to y'all discuss all of Sadie's trauma. Hugs, Sadie. Thank you. I appreciate those internet hugs, and I will send you some back if you would like them. My name is Michaela, she, they, and I grew up in the FLDS group. Great episode, by the way. I've been out for seven years this month, and I've grown a lot, but I had to take this opportunity to ask my question to someone who might give me some insight from a similar perspective to my own. My question for your how-to series is this. How do you learn how to make friends with healthy boundaries? I'm an introvert, and I have a hard time meeting people in the first place, but when I do meet people slash make friends, I find myself constantly worrying that they'll think I'm weird or that they'll be mad at me if I establish a healthy boundary, even something as simple as, I don't feel like going out tonight, but you have fun. I know this is partially my anxiety and people-pleasing tendencies working on it. But do you have any but do you all have any tips on how to relax with new people? I'm terrified of being cult girl TM. So <laughs> Michaela writes a lot like me and it's very funny. So if you have any perspective on how to own your past without letting it be the entirety of who you are, I think there are some of your listeners who would love that. This how-to series has been fun so far. Looking forward to all your tips and tricks in future episodes. Thanks again, Michaela. So first, I want to say thank you so much, Michaela, for this email. I was really nervous about the FLDS episode. Anytime I talk about something that is someone else's experience and not directly my experience, I get so nervous. Because I want so badly to do your experience justice and get as much right as possible and give you the validation and the feeling of being heard that it's 
easier for me to give listeners who had a similar experience to my own. So thank you to Michaela and other FLDS listeners who gave us good feedback on that episode. I'm so glad I was able to treat your experience with the respect that it deserves. Let's get to the question. Let's do it. Let's Yeah, let's do this. Okay, so I want to say to you, Michaela, uh, that making friends with healthy boundaries isn't just something that exes struggle with. It's something that normies have difficulty with as well. And it's totally fine that you're afraid of being weird because, like, to be honest, most of us are a little afraid of being weird as well. My personal advice, in the words of Olena Tyrell from Game of Thrones, you're a dragon. Be a dragon. Um, mm. uh, and I know maybe this isn't, this might not be what everybody wants to hear, but maybe a little bit embrace being an ex-cult weirdo. You know, make friends with other weirdos. Because in my personal experience, the coolest people that I know all kind of weirdo like just generally varieties of geeks or interestingly off-center individuals you know what i'm saying like these are these are the people that you want to be friends with um these sorts of people also tend to be much more accepting of personality quirks uh and are also far more likely to be in therapy as well so if you use language with them communicating healthy boundaries that you learn to use that language then they're also more likely to give you an affirming response be a weirdo make friends with other weirdos that's the you know okay that is excellent that is excellent advice and i think that all of my favorite people that i know have have at least one weird thing about them i i am i have a i have a friend who is who, if you met her, you would think that she's really a normie. But then when you get to know her, she is deep, deep into true crime. And she was also a incredibly band nerdy band nerd. Hell yeah. Yeah. And I think that's how she met her husband. I think she met her husband through marching band. So um, I think everybody that I truly love has at least one of those characteristics. Um, also... If you set a really, really basic, simple boundary, like, I don't want to, yeah, I'm not going to go out tonight, but I hope you have a good time. If somebody's a jerk to you about that, they're not your people. And sometimes that really hurts because sometimes you do that and you get a jerk response and then you're like, oh man, I really liked this person up until now and I really wanted to be their friend. And like, that can really hurt. It's kind of like dating. Yeah, so I'm not saying it's easy, but if somebody is a jerk to you about something that simple, you really, you really don't, they're not for you. Uh, I loved that you're a dragon, be a dragon thing that you said. Hell yeah. One thing that I've learned from being an ex-cult member is that there are some levels of personality weirdness that really can't be fixed or changed after you reach adulthood. It, and that's, I don't mean to say that is bad news. Just if you were raised that level of weird, you're probably never going to be able to present completely normal. A lot of ex-cult members, so me included, are able to put on an act and seem very average or, or normal, whatever that is. I used to do that, and I was pretty good at it, honestly. Like, I've had whole entire jobs where nobody knew I had come of a cult and people just thought i was like incredibly normal and i was bored out of my mind 
I was so bored. I had no personality. Once I started embracing the weird that is not going to change, I just enjoy myself so much more. I look at it as an act of self-care and self-acceptance. I am a little weird and I am always going to be a little weird. I get emotionally deep on the first time that I meet people. If you take me to a party, I'm probably going to end up sitting outside with someone talking about um, aliens or childhood trauma or the Kennedy assassination or like (laughs) their incredibly specific problems they are having with the person they're dating right now. That that is just who I am. Uh, I tell embarrassing stories about myself. I miss cultural references. I'm either zoned out or incredibly focused at all times. I have very strange hobbies and interests. And that is just who I am. And it has not done me a lot of good in my life to think about, like, well, is this who I would have been if I had never been in a cult? Or did this come from the cult? Or did some of it come from the cult and some of it is how I would have always been? You know, I used to try to sort all that out and it, it just didn't help me. It didn't do anything for me. Because the things that I don't like about myself, I have worked really hard to cut out and get rid of. And that's a lifelong process. But the things that just make me who I am, well, they are. They just are. And it doesn't matter if they are because I was in a cult or if they are because they're in my DNA or what. They just are. I don't see a point in trying to change it unless it's something that I don't like about myself because it could potentially harm other people. So those of us who were raised in a cult are often taught how to connect with people, whether to welcome and love bomb new members or to try to convert outsiders. Take inventory of the things that you were taught. Learn what is manipulative behavior and get in the habit of never using that. Learn what love bombing is and what it looks like and get in the habit of checking yourself as often as you need to to make sure that you don't accidentally do that to other people. But if you were taught how to start conversations, how to find shared interests, those are still legitimate non-manipulative tactics that you're still allowed to use to make friends. You are like you are obligated to take if you were taught manipulation You are obligated to take inventory and to be honest with yourself and to check yourself that there, that you do not use it. But you are still allowed to use the non manipulative things that you were taught. I, I, I was just thinking back to when we became friends and we became friends because we were both fans of the Canadian progressive rock band Rush, which is probably like, it's probably the nerdiest band that you can be really into. You know what I'm saying? like yeah they're very nerdy band it's it's an extremely nerdy band to be really into um when we were first friends sadie didn't tell me that she was in a cult like initially when we first became friends that became something that she told me later but it was still like i i still thought that you were I like I, i'm not gonna lie i thought you were a little weird but that you're like I okay, am a little this, weird yeah like <laughs> But, like, not in, like, a bad way. Just like, oh, she's a little eccentric, but, you know, still cool. That's the I sort of thing. I also had either hot pink hair or sunset colored hair when we met. No, when we met, it was uh, it was pink. Yeah, it was, like, it was, it was like extremely neon pink. It was so pink it glowed under a black light. Yeah. And, yeah. like, it was just, like, I was just like, okay, she's a little eccentric, but she seems cool. So let's, we, we could be friends. And that's probably what people are going to think about you. People are probably going to meet you and then be like, oh. Uh, this person's a little weird, but still be friends. Nothing wrong with that. Like the thing about um, 
if you decide that you want to use the being raised in a cult as a conversation starter, don't you don't have to make that your whole personality. You know what I'm saying? Like it's a great way to get people interested in talking to you, but you use it more as like a hook than anything else. Like in when I was talking in the dating episode about you know when I was saying uh I would I would take Sadie up to people if like hypothetically and say, "Hey, uh, this is my friend. She was raised in a cult. She doesn't know what song to sing. What song should she sing?" The idea isn't to get them talking about or, or get people talking about oh being raised in a cult the idea is to get people talking about music i think incorporating that as part of your personality but not your whole per- personality is it's something i've really had to work on it is difficult and i think you have to develop like that part of your personality is already fully developed it is because it was brainwashed into you it is there <laughs> Um, you have to develop other things about yourself that are interesting. Get, get hobbies. Or if you learn to play an instrument in the cult, start learning to play non-religious songs that are fun and that bring you joy. Like I play a lot of, uh, I've learned a lot of like piano classics and musical theater classics. Hell yeah. Learning how to play Piano Man was a really smart choice (laughs) because drunk people plus piano plus somebody who can play the piano Everybody wants to hear Piano Man every single time. So it gets the people going. Yeah. Learning to play piano was a part of my life in the cult, but I developed that into something that's an additional point of interest. So now it's not, oh, this person was raised in a cult. Now it's this person was raised in a cult and they can play Piano Man. <laughs> Great hang. Yeah. So you, you <laughs> develop what you have into further things that are interesting about you. Okay, so if you learned how to sew in the cult, which you probably did if you were raised FLDS, and a lot of us IFBers did too, if you learned to sew in the cult, are you interested in cosplay? Is that something that you would be interested in? Or making your own clothes and just like challenge yourself to never make anything that would pass the cult dress check? Like that would be another way to develop something that was given to you by the cult into an additional point of interest. This person was raised in a cult and they can play Piano Man and they made the dress that they're wearing. So impressive. Yeah. So you you just you develop what you have into you have to make other things that are interesting about you other than being raised in a cult. Now. Some people don't mind disclosing that part of their background to strangers. This is a strategy that works for me, clearly, because there are thousands of you listening. Um, This may not be for everybody. Some people really need to stay away from the cult conversation until they know people better. And that's really okay. So I have come up with some alternative things you can say, excuses that are not lies that I can offer. If you don't want to say the cult word or bring up religion, you can say something like this to explain your general weirdness. You could say, I was raised in a really small town and we didn't get out much. You could say I was homeschooled, or you could say I was raised really strict. My parents were a little bit overprotective. None of those are lies. <laughs> and and they will, if somebody is kind of being pushy about your weirdness or like a cultural reference that you missed or something that they think is odd about you, 
those are deflecting ways to deflect. I personally, I don't like to lie. It doesn't make me feel good about myself, but I have no problem with saying only one part of the truth in person-to-person conversations when withholding information is not going to hurt anyone. Saying any of these things, it's not a lie. It's not shady. It's protecting your mental health and your own boundaries. And if people push you, if you say one of those things and people push you for details, you can just say, oh, that's really boring. I'm really happy with my life now and change the subject. Later, if you get closer to that person and you want to open up to them, you can. And I have never had this backfire on me. There have been a lot of times when I've chosen to play my cards close like that and then open up later. Well, I told you that my parents were really strict while we were actually in a cult. People have always been understanding when I did open up. Nobody has ever called me a liar about that. Nobody has ever felt like I was like I was somehow misleading them. People have always been understanding about why I needed a little more time to open up about that. And I, I mean, I even do that about our podcast. Like sometimes I meet a stranger and I'll mention that I have a podcast and they'll be like, oh, cool. What's it about? And I just do not want to get into the cult thing on that particular day. I am trying to check out my groceries and go home. And I'll say, oh, it's a, it's a podcast about um, fundamentalism and religion and like extreme religious groups. Because some days I do not feel like saying, oh, I was raised in a cult. And that is that is not a lie. That is not that withholding like the, the details of that information is not going to hurt anyone. Like you are allowed to not give the full details to protect your mental health. That's all I'm saying. Michaela said that they are... Um that they are a bit more introverted. So this goes more to the introvert thing than the cult thing. Um, and I, I personally, I'm of the opinion that introverts and extroverts kind of need each other a little bit. You know what I'm saying? Interesting. Yeah. Like, so if you're an introverted person and uh, you should, you know, seek out, try to have a close friend who's really extroverted because they will often be available on that one day out of 10 that you actually desire social interaction. You know what I'm saying? Like, so yeah, Sadie knows this uh, about me because I do this all the time is that I will decide I want to go to the beach next Saturday. And so then I will text literally everybody that I know and say, Hey, I'm going to the beach on Saturday. Do you want to come? And I know that if I send that message out to like 20, 25 people, I'll probably get five or six that want to come or that can make it. Um, don't have something else going on. And if somebody says, no, that's cool. Next time I decide I'm going to the beach, I'll still invite that person. If you find yourself an extroverted friend, they'll always be inviting you to. But if you just want to hang out with just them and like play Xbox or something like you can just say, Hey, do you want to come over to my house and play Xbox and get Chinese takeout or whatever? They'll probably be down to do that too. Uh, to like keep it low key like there's sort of a sense that extroverts all the time were just out here going out and partying all the time and every night and with friends and we can have a good time and that's not even remotely true like i'll go out to a party or I'll go out to the beach or i'll go out to a bar meet friends or something like saturday night friday night or something or whatever you know maybe once twice a week but on a tuesday i might just want to stay in and watch basketball or watch a movie and if i had a friend call me up and say like this friend's more introverted i had this friend call me up and say hey on tuesday do you want to come over to my house and watch basketball that would be great i'd love to do that so don't make like the stereotypical weekend of going out like having like partying or whatever don't make the whole being quote unquote social thing your go-to 
for social interaction because your high watermark for social interaction can some be somebody else's low watermark. Ooh. And that's where you can meet. You that know? is beautiful. Really? Your high watermark of social interaction can be someone else's low is yeah. possibly one of the best things you've ever said on the sh- on the podcast. Uh, you think so? <laughs> yeah, because I'm very much like that. I really enjoy social interactions, but I get a lot more out of it with like one to three people at a time. Like three people is pushing it for me. I get nothing out of sitting around a table with eight of my closest friends and like having trying to have eight different conversations. I get w- way more out of like getting one or two of them out to dinner at a time. Like we've been friends for like three years, three years or so. We've the amount of times that we've like gone out to a bar to get drinks together um, with a more than just us and like maybe one other person. I can count that on one hand. Granted, it was also during the pandemic. Right. Most of our friendship has been pandemic, but also I just like, I don't enjoy having eight shallow conversations at once. It's overwhelming to me. I don't want to do that. I want to get somebody like off in a corner and talk about some deep shit that they're really interested in or I'm really interested in. Like, I know if I want to go out to like karaoke night on Friday or Saturday, Sadie's not going to be the person who's going to come with me. Like, that's fine. Then again, I've I've also had a baby (laughs) most of the time that we've been friends. Yeah. But like, I mean, that's just kind of, that's just kind of how it is. You just got to know what some, what's in somebody's wheelhouse and what isn't like everybody's like, if Sadie called me up and was like, Hey, do you want to come to my house? We're going to watch a movie, uh, hang out with Chuck, uh, hang out with Harry, hang out with Jonathan. Um, I'd be like, yeah, hell yeah. Let's do that. That sounds like a good time. Yeah. Um, there is nothing wrong with you. If large groups of people interacting socially is not really your thing, and that's not something you want to do very often. I I just I think it's really I saw a meme recently that was like, why do we see articles like, are you an introvert? Here's how to be more social. And we see articles like that everywhere, but we never see articles about, are you an extrovert? Here's how to be more quiet and sensitive. <laughs> Like being very extroverted and social is seen as like the societally uh, desired outcome and being an introvert is seen as an undesirable outcome. And that's just that's just incorrect. There is nothing. You know, I think that that most people need human interaction in their lives and most people really enjoy human interaction when they get the kind that they like the best. But there is nothing wrong with you if you do not want to hang out with 20 people. So, you know, fi- find your lane and find your people and maybe adopt an extrovert that can get you out a little bit more. Or if get that's them something to that is important you. to you. <laughs> What'd you say? Yeah. I said, or get them to adopt you. Yeah. Yeah. Same difference. So, Sadie, do you want to uh, read our next question? I think this is our right. last question. Yeah. So this question is from L.E. and it is in our it was in our Facebook group. They would like to know how to manage your finances, make a budget, etc. Given high pressure groups propensity toward pressure to financially support, quote, tithe. And given the fact that a lot of churches have financial management classes, I think an episode like this would be a great idea. My grandmother has tried to push Dave Ramsey curriculum on me countless times. I didn't receive much financial advice slash literacy as a child or teen besides tithe and the Lord will provide. So a couple of things. One is once you're not tithing, you find that you have a lot more money to to go around. Well, you have approximately 10% more money. 
yeah, it's it's like um, immediately getting a ten percent raise. No, so I'm I'm not a financial advisor. Neither am I. Yeah, neither of us are financial experts in any way. Actually, this is probably a great idea for an episode that I would like to do in the future. Um, get somebody who is a financial expert to come on, have ex fundies send us questions. So if you're a financial expert and you listen to this show and you want to give some advice to listeners, please get in touch with us via email at leavingedenpod at gmail.com. We'd love to have you on the show and we'd love to answer people's questions because I think that would be a really good service that we could do for people. I do for a minute want to talk about Dave Ramsey a little bit. Oh boy. Okay, let's do yeah. it. So I I didn't know about Dave Ramsey before doing the show. Then Sadie told me about him, and then I suddenly saw his name popping up every like f-ing everywhere. Um, it's such an ignorable name. Yeah, like if you're not tuned into who he is, and you see an article with his name in it, you're just going to skim right over it. The thing that he's been getting roasted for lately, and just basically dragged like no tomorrow for lately have have you seen this clip that uh, that's making a, its way around social media where the caller asked dave ramsey about student loan repayment i have not probably because i disdain dave ramsey and i will just always scroll past anything that has his face on it what did he have to say this is a couple weeks ago caller calls into his show and says that they have a small amount of student debt, relatively, something like twenty five hundred dollars. Oh, that's and, tiny. Yeah, that's that's not a lot of student debt, but that's still a debt, right? You know, that's that's still an debt. Um, the government uh, had just announced, like a, the, the day before, a couple days before, that they were going to wipe out ten grand from everybody's student loan debt. Um, caller calls up dave ramsey's show that he has where he has got those little those like microphone headsets Mm -hmm. instead of just i guess that's just the headset that he's been using for so long it just it looks really weird to see somebody wearing one of those headsets on like a call-in show in the year of our lord 2022 (laughs) but whatever and so the caller asks basically call it calls up and asks dave do I get the loan forgiveness or do I pay it off? What's better for me? And Dave Ramsey straight up says that this caller should pay it off because that's what they said they would do. Because that's what they said they would do. Yeah. It's so dumb. So dumb. Oh my goodness. I mean, this guy's just like, and I I know that a lot of people have a lot more debt than, uh, than $2,500 in student debt. And I know that I know some people that have had their debts totally wiped out and some people that it just like barely made a scratch, but still like, this is infuriating to, to, to hear about where, you just know, this pay a debt that you don't have to pay because it's the right thing to it's, is it the right thing to do though? Is it, I mean, the Bible was pretty, it, was pretty clear about what God thinks about predatory loans. The Bible was also clear about debts that last longer than seven years. Yeah, that part too. Yeah. And Ugh. so like, I mean, th- this it's just like, I don't know. It just seems like it's, it's, it, that's just the most predatory type of like, um, it's, it's the same sort of thing as, you know, when you were talking about signing those binding contracts at 14. Mm-hmm. Saying that you would go to the mission field and right. that God would strike you. How, like, or I don't not get drink how, or whatever. Yeah, I don't get how it's that much different when you sign like a predatory contract when you're 17 or 18 for like $60,000 of, 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 
uh, of of money than it is if you sign a predatory contract when you're 14. Like there's some people are more mature, some people are less mature, but still at 17, 18, you're 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 still kind of a kid. You know? Well, especially, you know, at 18, you're a legal adult and there are a lot of things that you legally can do. However, there, there's, there's an argument to be made about 18 year olds who think that they just have to go to four year liberal arts type college in order to ever get anywhere in life. That's what I thought. And, and well, and there are a lot of kids that are there that would be way better off, you know, pursuing a job as a union electrician or union mechanic or something. Yeah, I wish I'd gone to state school instead of private school. I and they'd really be do. making so much more money now anyway. Yeah. No, I, it's like, it's just one of these things. Dave Ramsey, uh, I'm sure that he has some things that he says that are just like basically like good financial advice. I can tell you the- like one piece of good advice. Tell me. <laughs> okay. So the one thing that I'm aware of that he gets sort of generally right is the idea of the snowball method of paying off debt. So the idea is if you have multiple debts and some are much larger than others. So let's say you've got you owe one person or one company uh, $2,000 and then you owe a different company $6,000 and then you owe a third company $52,000. Oy they. You pay the $2,000 debt first and get it cleared, done. And then you work on paying the $6,000 debt and get that cleared and done. So the idea is that you pay off the smaller ones first so they stop generating interest. And that way you have fewer things generating interest. That is... In for a lot of people that will work depending on what who you owe and what the interest rates are, are on each one of those things. But as far as I'm aware, like for a simple household situation for a lot of people, it's generally an okay idea. And if you've got a more complex situation, it's probably not, you know, it might not be your best option. I mean, the other thing that you could do is you could consolidate those all into one, like. $60,000 debt and just work on hitting that. Like that's that's the other option that you have, but it also depends on what interest rate you have and and whether you can refinance and and whether you have things collateralized. It's it's all right. like really complicated. Right. So if this is a really really somehow a a ridiculously simple situation where you just have these debts and they're all roughly the same interest rate and sure like this could work like this could this could be a financially good idea for a person um so that's the one thing i'm aware of that he vastly overgeneralizes but could work for a lot of people the thing he really gets wrong in my opinion is telling people never to have a credit card and never have any debt of any kind other than maybe a mortgage oh well, like this really, yeah. and, and this is repeated all over the Bill Gothard Financial Freedom Seminar. This is a, a very, very common fundy thing. Even on the Hiles Anderson website, it talks about how oh, we enable students to graduate debt-free because they don't take any kind of student loans. The, the reason that I think this <laughs> is harmful is not only did I lose years between getting out of the IFB and now that I could have been finishing a college degree at an accredited college because I was so afraid of student loans, I also ended up as an adult with no credit history. So now, Mm. yeah, so now I'm almost 30 and I don't have bad credit, but I could have good credit and I don't because I've never had a credit card until pretty recently. So I, like, I can't 
I don't have credit history and that's a real disadvantage to me in a lot of ways. So now I'm I'm doing the very basics. I do all my grocery shopping on a credit card and then I pay it off every month. And it's just a little frustrating that I'm doing that at almost 30 because I was terrified of debt for so long. And there's a lot of wasted time that I could have been working on my financial future that I just wasted just years that are gone that I'll never get back because I was so afraid of debt. Yeah. Um, and I also think this is such a huge blind spot for a guy like Dave Ramsey, who, it, you know, the type of men that like can't fathom people doing bad things or can't fathom the system not working the way that it's yeah. supposed to work for mm-hmm. everybody. Like, so not having a credit card or not having credit history can be a, a huge setback if you're escaping from a bad situation. So like, say you're escaping from abusive family, abusive partner, you need your own apartment and you, and your income is maybe like marginal towards what they're looking for. Like if they want you to have like two times or three times the, the rent in income and you're kind of like, that's kind of stretching it a bit for you. If you've got like a good credit histories, a lot of times they'll look the other way and they'll be like, okay, well, you know, okay, but you have good credit history. That's fine. And it makes, it makes it harder for somebody to rent to you. If you don't have credit history, if you don't have borrowing history, or if you realize very suddenly that you're in an unsafe situation and you need to get out of where you like, where you're living. If you're in a bad living situation, you have a credit card. And even if you never use it, this means that you can go and post up at a motel or at an Airbnb for a couple of days. You can eat, you can buy gas, or you can get an Uber, whatever you need to do. And you can think about your primary safety need and worry about how you're going to pay for it later. You know, it really makes you wonder if not being able to get out of a bad situation is kind of what the fundies are going for. Well, yeah. I mean, that, that it's like the same reason why they didn't want women to have their own bank accounts. Uh, true like, that. Yeah, like I mean, I, I like I know growing up people are going to be they're all saying, you know, don't get into debt, interest will pile up and it'll pile up and it'll pile up and you'll be broke and you'll be paying it off forever. And that can be true. But you know what else piles up is overdraft fees on a debit card or a bank account. You know? Like mm-hmm. yeah, if been you've there. got yeah, we've all been there. You know, I mean, like if you've got anxiety about, oh, did my direct deposit hit in time for uh, me to make this uh, purchase or in time for my rent payment to go through because, uh, you know, I'm running close to the edge on this. Like you don't have to worry about that. Or if you've got enough money to pay rent or buy groceries, if you don't have enough money for both, well, you can pay rent out of the bank account and then you can you know, pay $100 for groceries or however much you need to pay for groceries or pay the repair bill for your car with the credit card. And you can figure out how you're going to pay for it later. If you're in like an emergency situation and you're stressed and you're just like, Oh no, Oh no, Oh no, Oh no. Like if I don't get this, I'm going to, you know, bad things are going to happen to me. Like maybe it might be a life or death situation, or it might just be a general safety situation in general, but Granted, this is more like emergency stuff, not how you should run your finances day to day. But like for a lot of people, you know, I want, I know a lot of people out there are struggling. Um, and this is going to be a necessity for them to just have as like something to, to fall back on if they need it. If they don't have friends or if they don't have family with money that they can just call up and ask for help. Yeah, that's, that's absolutely true. 
I, I'm glad that you pointed out, like, don't get a credit card and then max it out on complete luxuries with no plan for how you're going to pay it off. No, that's a horrible like, idea. Yeah. And, and don't just max out a credit card and then open up a new one and just make minimum payments and let it sit there at the max. Like, don't do that. That's how you get over your head in debt. That's, but that's what that's, the fundies uh, think yeah. that everybody does when they get a credit card. Like, they think that is the only path that you go down once you get a credit card. Right. I mean, I guess that's what they think. They think if you smoke weed once, then you're about to do heroin and crack tomorrow. Like, that's... Yes. (laughs) If you smoke weed once, you have to go to Reformers Unanimous for your weed addiction. Credit cards in particular, it's something you should use your judgment on and, and not be reckless. So I know that there are some people who just cannot mess with alcohol or substances because they know themselves well enough to know that if they start, there's no end and they get down a really bad path really quickly. I'm sure that there are people who having a credit card is like that for them. Like if they have it in their wallet, they just are going to be act compulsively with it. I really support finding little hacks and tricks to keep yourself in line if you truly feel that you need a credit card and want to build credit, but you are just one of those people who is not good for you to carry it around, find boundaries, find a way to set boundaries for yourself that makes sense for you so that you can help yourself uh, set yourself up to succeed, not to fail. For example, so when Jonathan and I go to Vegas, we pull out our gambling money ahead of the trip in cash. We leave credit cards at home. We take debit cards with us. But if we go to a restaurant while we're there, like we'll take the debit card for that. But if we're going on the casino floor, like we are going to go drink and gamble, we just leave the debit cards safely stored in the hotel room. It's just, it's just common sense for us. Neither one of us are particularly impulsive with money and neither one of us has really had a problem, but we're both going to be intoxicated. We're both going to be gambling. It's easy to get over your head and not having the card on our person is just an extra thing that would give us time to think before we did something dumb. So you do follow Dave Ramsey's advice with the with the, the envelopes. <laughs> I'm pretty sure Dave Ramsey does not recommend going to Vegas and gambling, but sure, it's kind of similar to his outdated envelope advice. If you don't know what we're talking about, Dave Ramsey basically has you, his whole dealio is that he's like, when you're budgeting, what you do is you get all your money in cash and then you make a budget for how much you're going to spend on X thing, Y thing, Z thing. And then you put it all in an envelope and you carry envelopes with you. So that way you can't go over your budget. Like this guy has people walking around with envelopes full of cash, which depending on where you live could be a very bad idea. Don't do this if you're in a place where people get robbed or people get pickpotted. It's a bad idea. I don't even carry cash on me ever like not that i'm afraid of it but just like why do i need to carry cash everywhere does like either cards or apple pay or something like that like it's it's stupid anyway dave ramsey i think is the epitome of outdated boomer advice that is completely nonsensical in the 21st century but like that some people like swear by you know where like you know when people are like oh well make sure you run your car's engine for two minutes before you drive it anywhere you know that or the, the if you want your company to hire you, you go and you wait in their parking lot every day until the manager comes out and gives you a job because he admires your tenacity. Like, <laughs> Have you ever done something like that when it comes to jobs? Absolutely not. No. I have. Uh, not waiting in somebody's parking lot, thankfully, because that sounds creepy. 
But I did, like when I was first looking for a job, I was kind of under the impression like, oh, if you apply online, nobody's going to hire you because they're going to think you're just some like online teenager. And what you need to do is get dressed up super nice and take paper resumes and go business to business, door to door, ask to speak to the manager and hand them your resume. Yeah. So I will say the debt snowball is the stopped clock is right twice a day moment for Dave Ramsey. Definitely check with people way smarter and more qualified than us if you have any kind of complicated situation. But for a lot of people with like, I have like three debts and one is small and one is big. It's not necessarily bad advice. It might work depending on your situation. <laughs> Sometimes like the the thing with like credit and the and the thing with debts is sometimes you need to make a big purchase and you can't pay for it all up front because you like you need to make it like sooner rather than later. So you've got to use credit to pay for it and you've got to pay it back over the course of several months. Like say you've got back problems and you've got a bad mattress and you can't sleep and it's ruining your life and you need a new one. Like that is a perfectly reasonable thing to buy on credit. Would you agree, Sadie? You'd agree yeah. with me on Yeah. Like that sort of big purchase necessity is often like that's often a good idea to buy it on credit rather than saving up money for six months or a year to try to get it when it's going to make an immediate difference in your not just your quality of life, but also your basic function as a person. Right. You're going to improve your physical health, your mental health. It's going to make you function better day to day in your life. I, I mean, I, if anybody knows the importance of a good night's sleep, it's the ex <laughs> You know, <True. laughs> like, no, The thing is, like, if you're going to do something like that, just make sure you figure out how you're going to pay it off, how long it's going to take you to pay it off, that sort of thing before you go out and buy it. Right. Okay. So let's say you are going to buy a new mattress and your new mattress is $2,000 and that's what you can, huh? I said, oh, that's what mattresses cost. That's cheap for a mattress. I was going with like, yeah, for sake of the example, I'm going with like a fairly inexpensive one. So, so you, you, it's going to be $2,000 and your choices are buy it on credit and pay it off or save up $200 a month because that's the payment amount you can afford a month. Uh, save up $200 a month for 10 months. Well, in that situation, if you know you're going to have the $200 a month for the next 10 months, it totally makes sense to buy it on credit as long as your interest rate on your credit card isn't completely ridiculous. It totally makes sense to buy it on credit and just put that same $200 a month that would have gone in your savings towards paying off this mattress. Yeah. And I mean, especially something like that where you see the benefits of it right away. It's it's that sort of thing. It's the same with like, you're not saving up, oh, I need to save up uh, $320,000 so that I can buy this house. No, you're getting a mortgage so that you can buy a house because you know- Right. That's, like, that living in Portland, I need to save up $350,000 so I can make a down payment on a house it's, 10 minutes after it goes on the market. It hurts to joke about it. Yeah, it's it's f-ed up out here. That's it's it's a problem. So I want to talk about one other financial thing. And because I realized recently that I was missing out on saving money because of a fundy trigger, weirdly enough. Really? Yeah. Tell me about it. So for all these years, like since I got out of fundamentalism, I was completely turned off of using like store coupons or store loyalty points or like an app for the stores that you shop that tells you what the sales are because it was triggering because I grew up food insecure. 
So like needing to save money on food because I got out and in the last, yeah, in the last five years, like since I married Jonathan, for the first time in my life, I can go to the, sorry, I'm going to cry again. (laughs) For the first time in my life, I can go to the grocery store and buy things without counting up the math in my head or doing the math on my phone calculator to make sure I have enough money. The first time that ever happened to me was in the last five years. So Wow. And like just being able to buy all the food I need and not having to like do math, put one thing back and like really, really, okay, well, I'm going to have 35 cents left after this. And like I grew up food insecure and then I was also food insecure as an adult. And it was really triggering to feel like I needed to shop food sales or use coupons or anything like that. But with how bad inflation has been, it's now also triggering how expensive food is. Oh, no. (laughs) Because, like, I can buy the food I need for my family. But it still, it hurts to spend that kind of money. It really bothers me how expensive food has gotten. And it it really, it it just irritates me. It bugs me. It's triggering. So I have finally given in to actually being careful on how I shop for food. So meal planning, using to avoid food waste, um, using an app for the stores I shop at the most that tells me what's on sale and what, you know, if you buy two of these and three of these, it's $5 off, like that kind of thing. Using a store loyalty card so I get the extra sales, uh, clipping coupons, stacking that all together has actually saved me about 30% on my food budget. Hey, which is about equal to the inflation. So I kind of canceled out the inflation at this point. And I mean, you're feeding three people on that. So that's not a small amount of money. Yeah. And and like cutting the food budget by 30% is pretty good. So in order to get past it being triggering, I had to reframe it as a positive mental health choice. Like I have a game of what percent I saved from total and like what's the highest dollar amount I could get off with with stacking all of these things like, you know, this kind of points and this kind of coupons and this digital coupon and and like stacking everything. Uh, What's the highest dollar amount I can get off and what's the highest savings percentage I can get. So making it a game made it easier for me to get over the food insecurity trigger. And I think like the actual advice is not to coupon more or meal plan more because if money is tight for your family, you damn well know that. And you were already doing that most likely. The advice is number one, don't let fundamentalist brainwashing scare you out of doing things that are beneficial to you. Like that's the actual advice. Uh, because if, if, if money is tight for you, you know how to coupon and I don't need to be sitting here telling you. I have known so many people that came out of fundamentalism that would have benefited so much from food stamps, but they didn't sign up because of the stigma within fundamentalism and also the stigma within society. Really? They just won't? Yeah. Hmm. I mean, I know my family needed them. I mean, if you qualify, they'll give you like $200 a month of food per person. I mean, holy cow. My family never, we never missed a meal completely, but we walked away from the table hungry an awful lot. That would have made a lot of difference and I'd probably be a little bit taller. Um, (laughs) But it was, it was so, so preached against in fundamentalism. Like if you take money from the government because of the fundamentals, like we were talking about in the BJU episode and the fighting against the quote unquote social gospel, because of that, 
my family went hungry. Mm. So the actual advice is not, you know, quit buying avocado toast. The actual advice is use the resources that are available to you and don't let brainwashing scare you out of it. And number two, work on reframing this as something that makes you feel good if you can. Like whatever that means for you, when you do have to tighten your belt and buckle down, retry when you can to reframe it mentally as like, this is something I'm doing for myself to take care of myself. Because that you know, digs right back into the whole fundamentalist, like, self-care is bad and caring about yourself at all is bad. And this is another, like, wall you have to break down around that, I think. Yeah. You know, I do think that um, there's a lot of financial guru fake advice that specifically targets, like, poor people or, like, working class people because they're trying to tell them these are the secrets that rich people don't want you to know. When in reality, like, rich people, their secret is they just make more money than you, you know? Right, or they like, have generational wealth. Yeah. like, But it's, yeah, all the financial gurus on Instagram are like, here's how to game the system when, you know, we could just fix the broken system that doesn't work for hardly anyone. Yeah, and I mean, I've seen ones that are just like, did you know about FHA loans? And people are like, no, I'd never heard of that before. And there's th there's stuff like that. But then there's also people who are just like, sign up for my 12-point seminar and it costs $480, but you're getting such a deal because you will learn your financial... Like, don't, don't bother with that. All the stuff that they're going to tell you is available from... Uh, sources where they're not going to charge you money for it like yeah and if you have 480 dollars um see if you can get an actual financial advisor for a couple hours like somebody um, who's i don't know licensed or something the reality is neither of us are real financial experts we're, we're, we're just not um but I would really like to do a financial uh planning and financial literacy episode in the future because so, so if you are a financial expert and you would like to come on our show and answer listener questions from people who were raised in fundamentalism and who were raised with the teachings of Dave Ramsey or uh, Tom Kimmel, uh, <laughs> please yeah, get there's a There's yeah. a piece of financial advice that I really stand by. Um, if Tom Kimmel asks you to invest in something, don't. <laughs> <laughs> well, he's not going to be doing that. True. He's in jail. No, um, but but seriously, if you're a financial expert uh, and you want to give out some advice, we would love to have you on the show. Please email us at leavingedenpod at gmail.com. We'll see if we can set something up. That would be a great episode. So in classic Leaving Eden form, this episode has gone over time and we've got to wind down. <laughs> but we yeah, promised true. you a special treat at the end of the episode. If you're in our Facebook group, you have probably seen the photo of Jack Hiles that Gobby has. He he likes to draw on the glass with dry erase markers and make like cute little artwork on it, like pigtails or something, <laughs> or mustaches. It's creative. It's fun. <laughs> we think it's time in honor of our 100th episode to finally come clean about the origins of this photo of a cult leader. Oh my god. Are you ready? Yeah, so do you want to do you want to tell it or should I? Go you go ahead. It, it's your gift. You go ahead and tell it and I'll just correct you if you get anything wrong. Okay. Uh so last May, May of 21, I went over to Sadie's house because her parents were in town and she was like, oh, I really want you to meet my family. And I was like, well, oh, my dad really wanted yeah. to meet you because of the podcast. 
Well, I wanted to meet your your parents as well because you made them seem like such a fascinating and lovely people, and they were they were delightful. So, so just for background, before he continues telling the story, months before this visit, and I mean months, my dad <laughs> called me up and he said, "Do you want to play a prank on Gavi?" And I said, "Of course I do." <laughs> so, um, I, I I come over. Uh, we we have lunch. It's a marvelous time. Your dad, like your dad, is really such an engaging person to talk to. He really was. Well, was- meeting new people was probably his favorite thing in the world. And uh, Jonathan appreciated that my dad had someone new to explain the history of fundamentalism to. He was like I, he could have talked to me for. He told me story after story after story about Jack Hiles about. Uh, just like the things that he went through and how, you know, and how difficult it was for him trying to raise a family. It was really fascinating. I really wish that he could have come on the show. It's, damn, now I'm about to make Sadie cry. Uh- <laughs> no, it's okay. We no. we will probably, we once we finally are ready to go through all of the hours of audio that we have, we'll probably have enough to put together a show where our listeners can get to know him a little bit. Yeah, because they, I, I really think that they would love him. Um just again. but but anyway, we get done with lunch, um, and he tells me that he has a gift for me. He has a gift for you. Yes. So, like my dad was prone to do, he went on a rambling, lovely speech about how much Gavi means to our family and how he's been such a good friend to me. And my dad wants to honor him by giving him a family heirloom that has been in our family for many years. I was touched. I uh, it was it was something spe- he he can turn on the charm, man. He really <laughs> uh, Do you think do you think I'm anything like him? Ah, <laughs> uh, I mean. So, let's play a clip there are some of similarities. <laughs> let's play a clip of of that speech for our listeners. Really, you know, when your daughter lives halfway across the country and you want things to go well for her, you want her to have good friends. And we we feel like me yes we feel like that you have been a friend to her oh well and allowing her to tell her story and bringing joy and humor to that video in this no I'm not don't pay attention oh to me but that makes I feel so special I'm we, so glad you're wow well knowing 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 you were a single man and oh. Your own apartment and everything. We wanted to do something, but this is something that's been in our family for a number of years. Oh but just go ahead and rip it open. And, oh my wow. and, uh, I'm I'm so touched. I don't even know where to get it. <laughs> so the gift that he gave me that he is laughing about that i am laughing about is the giant portrait of jack hiles that i've i've <laughs> since drawn with dry erase markers no it was like it's it, to be fair 
He was not lying. This is a thing that has been in our family for multiple decades. That picture actually hung in his office when he was a pastor. So I saw it literally hundreds, if not thousands of times when I was a little kid. That's, I mean, it, it really feels, it really makes me feel connected to like in, in, in a real, like I'm looking at it right now, actually, it's on my wall in my room that um, the, the latest iteration has him uh, with a goatee, an eye patch, a pirate hat, and a parrot on his shoulder. Well, it's it's a very real piece of history because it's not just a portrait of Jack Hiles. It's a portrait that hung in my dad's office when he was an IFB pastor because that's what he thought you were supposed to do is have pictures of your IFB heroes in your office when you were a pastor. So not cult-like at all. IFB isn't it cult people. Definitely. Um, so, so part of the way through the speech, I see that Sadie is taking and recording a video on her phone. I'm a little confused, a little suspicious. And I'm just like, are you recording? She's like, don't worry about it. I didn't pay it any mind because you know, like, he was just so sincere. Well, he really did mean and- all the nice stuff. He just had to follow it up with one of the best pranks he ever pulled, <laughs> which is saying something because that man loved his pranks. Uh, did you know that he wrote out that entire speech and then memorized it so that he could get through it without laughing? That's commitment. That's- he was always totally committed to a good prank. And I will, I have a few more stories that I'll tell you all over time. <laughs> so the thing that he says at the end of this is that he says, now you'll know you that you can never take me seriously again. But you know what? I think it honestly, it had the opposite effect. You know what I'm saying? Like mm-hmm. I had, like, I, I thought I didn't know what I was going to think about when I, when I met him. Cause I'd talked to him over recording like once or twice. Um, when we were like early in the shows and uh, like in the show's production, we'd talked over recording, like when you were out there visiting. Oh, um, right. I forgot about yeah. that. Yeah, we did that. And so I talked to him just a little bit, but I, so I didn't really know what to expect because you never really know how you're going to vibe with somebody until you get in the same place and you talk like, you know, and you realize, you know, there's, there's, you have eye contact, you have body language and stuff. And I, I just want to say, I have so much more respect for people who can laugh at themselves and for people, you know, who, who can really like, you know, he was making fun. He was playing a joke on me, but he was also like making fun of himself a little bit saying, yeah, this is the guy that I used to basically worship. Uh, Here's his picture. And and now I'm giving away his picture as a gag gift. Yeah. Yeah. And for me, that's just so much more compelling and endearing than people who are just allergic to any kind of levity like that Mm -hmm. or people who are just afraid of humanizing themselves in a way that will make them seem weak to other people. So that like that that was a really touching memory that I have about your father. Yeah. Um, He was always like that. Like he would tell, okay, have you heard the clip of Jack Hiles telling racist jokes about uh, a man? I think he was, Puerto Rican who was on his staff? No. You okay. told me about this clip. There there are clips out there. When Jack Hiles like picked on people or made jokes, it had a mean-spirited sort of flair to it. My dad liked to pick on people, but it was always going to be turned around to be self-deprecating, self-deprecating and in this very sincere way. <laughs> and it was always like 
I'm picking on you, but the joke is on me. Like he would, okay, he would make jokes about, uh, he would make jokes about, okay, well, when Sadie was a little kid, she was so ugly that we had to put a piece of meat around her neck to get the dog to play with her. <laughs> oh, that's horrible. And then people would laugh, and then he would follow up by saying, too bad she got my jeans and not her mother's. <laughs> <laughs> so he's picking on me, but I'm not the punchline he is. Yeah. Yeah. That's so it was yeah. it was always it was always that. <laughs> and I'm so glad that we got this prank on video because and, and I'm so glad that we're finally sharing it with our listeners because it's I think it says so much about who he was, like what kind of person he was. It was such a sweet moment and yet so hilarious. And I'm going to Sadie's got the video. We're going to put that up on our Instagram. We're going to put it up on uh, the TikToks. Yeah, uh, we'll 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 get where you can finally see the full video. I hope it warmed your heart like it did ours. And that's just our gift to you for sticking with us for two years. Thank you so much. Actually, in the video, I have the thick beard that I had for a little bit before I decided that I hated having a thick beard because it was itchy and got in the way of everything it was really inconvenient. So, <laughs> I don't look so like a that little anymore. vintage, just just some vintage uh, hilarity from us. <laughs> I grew a quarantine beard and then I got really into having a beard for a minute. Cause you know, if you're a dude and you grow a beard, uh, like the, and you grow like a thick beard for the first time, you like, there's a strong urge you're going to have to make that your whole personality. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Like the, 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 you have to fight that urge. And I went into it for a little bit and now I'm just like, you know what? It's like a pain in the ass and it's, like, just, well, like we told Michaela, no. you can have one thing that is interesting about yourself and still have other things that are also interesting about yourself. No, the reality is that I grew a beard because I was uh, uh, t- to compensate for the fact that I was balding and I didn't want to shave my head yet. So <laughs> now I shaved my face and I shaved my head. So that's all good now. Oh, I've, right. I've, I forgot that you, I forgot that you shaved your face. Yeah. Last time I saw you, it was very jarring. Self-acceptance. That's the meaning of this show. If there's one thing to take away from this show, is there anything else that we, I know Sadie's really tired. It's like, she's had a long day, so we're going to have to wrap this one up. Yeah, I'm accepting the fact that I'm really tired. Now, thank you so much to our (laughs) listeners um, for sending in so many great questions for this how-to wrap-up episode and for sticking with us for two years. We, you know, there's not much point in making a podcast if we don't have listeners. And I hope that we acknowledge that enough because we certainly feel that and we certainly recognize um, every time that we talk that there is no point in us talking into a microphone if there aren't people out there that want to hear it and want to support our show. So thank you to our listeners. If you like our show, as always, you can uh, hit subscribe button to whatever you listen on uh, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, wherever the hell you are listening to this, Google Podcasts, Audible, wherever we're showing up these days. I don't know where we're showing up. We should be everywhere. Um, You can join our Facebook group, which is facebook.com slash groups slash Eden Exodus. You can join our subreddit, which is reddit.com slash r slash Eden Exodus. You can join our patreon uh, where you get an extended version of today's episode that's going to have a lot of bonus content on it because for real we ran hella long and i couldn't put it all in the streaming cut of the episode so some of it's up there on the patreon just because uh if you want to follow the podcast on facebook and instagram it is at leaving eden podcast on twitter it is at leaving eden pod sadie you want to plug your socials Sure, you can follow me on Twitter at Hell Yes Sadie. Warning, it is, uh, oh no, The Bachelor will be over by the time this episode comes out. 
So it'll probably be Bachelor in Paradise content. But I talk, but I tweet about, I tweet about, no, really, I tweet about uh, deconstruction related topics more than I do The Bachelor. And I also tweet about funny things that my husband says to me because marriage is weird. Um, you can follow me on Instagram at Sadie Carpenter Music and you can follow me on TikTok at Sadie Carpenter One. And you can follow me on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at G A V R I E L H A C O H E N. Thanks for two years, guys. Thanks for a hundred episodes. You guys are the best. You have a great day. Bye bye. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50 luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.